Welcome to The Lead, the Hartford's executive podcast series, where some of our company's most innovative and engaging leaders share their thoughts about leadership, career development, our company, and industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Lead. I'm your host, Paula Angelo, and I had internal and CEO communications at the Hartford. Our guest today is Lori Rodden, the Hartford's Chief Human Resources Officer. Lori, it's great to have you here today. It's great to be here with you, Paula. Thank you for having me. And, you know, some of our listeners are going to note that this is not our first podcast together. Uh, the last time we chatted in a podcast was right after you were named as CHRO in October of 2019. And in that first conversation, we talked about your career journey and how over 20 years you focused on adding value at every opportunity and also on taking on the tough assignments that others shied away from. You know, I've, I've reflected a lot on that conversation since then. Can you touch on two or three factors that really made the difference in your development? Sure. Um, and I have to hearken back on when we did this the last time, Paula, we were in the studio little do our employees know probably that we have this little studio and in a remote part of the home office campus in Hartford, Connecticut. And to be able to do this remote, look how far we've come and what we've learned through the pandemic. So it's great to be able to use the technology today to do this. Absolutely. So when I think about uh, my past and, and the career journey that I've had, you know, I always, I love to learn and yet I I'm also very loyal and I just recently last month celebrated my 24 year anniversary with the Hartford. So one of the things that I always had top of mind, Paula, was if I'm going to stay with the same company, how do I continue to grow and feel like I'm changing and challenging myself? So I did that by taking on different assignments and and taking on different opportunities. And, you know, I guess I'm just wired in the way that if somebody says, something can't be done or you wouldn't be able to do that or no one's going to be able to figure that out it just sparks something within me to say huh well i think i could do that or why couldn't i do that or i want to show them i want to prove them wrong so really like seeking out those challenges that you know are going to help you grow well if you're not learning you're not growing and I'm not even sure where where that may have um, that value may have gotten instilled within me, but I feel very strongly about it, and you always want to keep growing. Unfortunately, these days it's growing old, but I want to keep growing <laughs> mentally as well. And then we also talked about people who were influential in helping you build your career. And that, of course, brings up the topic of mentors and sponsors. Can you speak to the role that your mentors and sponsors played in helping you grow and develop? And maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, who one of those mentors or sponsors was. As I think about mentorship versus sponsorship, there's such a great story. Um, and some people listening to this may know who I'm going to talk about. His name is Rusty Everett. He worked at the Hartford NHR for many, many, many years. He retired several years ago from the Hartford. And in 2003, I went into my first executive job at the Hartford. I was uh, assistant vice president of fields recruiting, I think was the official title. 
basically what that meant is I had 50 recruiters that worked for me across the country, a $50 million budget. It was the first time I was leading managers who were leading employees. Uh, and it was a tough, it was a tough transition. So Rusty, he was in an HR business partner role supporting the field. So he could have mentored me, which would mean giving me advice on how to interact with the field, what to do, what not to do. He didn't do that. Instead, he very actively and visibly sponsored me. And it was something so simple. This is not going to be a book on mentorship versus sponsorship and what's the definition and all of that jazz. What Rusty did was he basically said, We're, we are traveling to the field. We went on a three-state tour and he literally vouched for me with the field executives. He you know, figuratively put his arm around me and said, she's good. I vouch for her. Now, I still had to perform. We still had some very tough meetings because at that time we needed to do better and I was committed to doing better, but I had to earn my way and we did. But what Rusty gave me was absolutely priceless. Because he gave you that credibility going in. 100%. When you think about your own accountabilities as a sponsor or a mentor, how does that influence the way that that you interact with the people that you're sponsoring or mentoring? Great question. And when I think of mentoring versus coaching versus sponsoring, mentoring is really the easiest of the three that I just mentioned, because it's basically giving people advice, telling them what to think about or what to do, and then sort of good luck with that. And mentoring is important, don't get me wrong. But when I think about people that I am sponsoring, and I think about, as Paula, you and I know, going into ELT meetings or briefings with our CEO or whatnot, if I am really in a sponsorship mode, I am making sure that the person who I'm bringing that that sponsee, if you will, is that even the <laughs> right term? The audience knows who they are, that I'm setting that person up for success, that maybe I'm giving them a little bit of tidbits about. So you're going to hear from so-and-so next time we meet on such and such. And this is a little bit about their background. This is what I really value about them. This is why I've given them a, this assignment. They may be a little bit nervous and so help them, you know, feel comfortable by doing X, Y, and Z. And just a little bit of that makes such a difference, such a difference. Absolutely. And, and I think um, for those of us who have benefited from sponsors, mentors, and coaches, um, we can feel that when we get into those perhaps unfamiliar, uncomfortable situations, just knowing that there's somebody there who has our back. Right, right. It really is priceless and it's it's a wonderful gift. And many more of us could give out those little gifts every day without even realizing it. It, it doesn't have to be a lot. This does not need to be some, you know, multi-year long relationship. It's it's really, it's the little things that we'll call it, we'll, we'll coin a new phrase here today. We'll call it micro sponsorship versus macro sponsorship. I love that. So you did become the chief HR officer in late 2019. And then just as you were settling into your new role, boom, <laughs> the pandemic happens. <laughs> so knowing what you know now, 
And based on the experience that we've all been having over these past 14, 15 months, if you could go back and give yourself advice, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. I just chuckle every time I think about going into this role and the timing. In the first 90 days, you know, I had Marty here for transition. Our transition was very smooth. I got through comp planning for the first year with the, the compensation committee of the board. I was living life, living large, Paula. Like, <laughs> this job is not that hard. I, I'm so glad I, I found the confidence to say I want to do it and I'm doing it and so excited. And then coronavirus came to town, COVID-19, global pandemic. And so um, it's such a great question. And when I think about when I think about it, this is going to give you some insight into my psyche and my personality. So I'm super proud of how we handled the pandemic. And I'll tell you what I did say to myself, and then I will answer your question on what advice I, I would give to myself, hindsight being 2020. But let's start with what I actually did say to myself. So the first thing I said to myself was, Lori, no one else knows what to do. So you just got put on the same level playing field as all the other CHROs out there. And that gave me um, such a such clear a clear head around. It's not that I don't know what I'm doing. Of course, none of us knew what we were doing. It was something so new and unique. But the fact that we were all in the same boat together, it just it just sort of freed my any of my insecurities. One. Number two, I was always super clear about the mission. Our employees' health and well-being was number one. And if you're clear on your mission and you say it over and over again and you make decisions in that context, it really makes the tough calls much easier. And that's what we did. So again, just so proud of myself and Chris and the leadership team and our communications partners, et cetera. I mean, we really, really did a, a fantastic job. All that said, the advice that I would give myself going back would be learn, but don't obsess. There was so much information flying in every moment. The situation was unfolding real time and you could literally just sit there and, and watch the news, read the papers and it just it it could and at times it did get crippling to some degree. So, you know, make sure you're getting briefed and learned, but don't obsess. Second would be take care of yourself. I mean, it truly is the put on your oxygen mask before you can take care of others. And I think a lot of people, you know, had this dynamic throughout the early stages of quarantine, but I would have, you know, hammered that to myself more if I could think back and be candid. And then third, prepare for a marathon. And I've said that in other forums before. It's a marathon, not a sprint, but boy, has it been a marathon. An ultra marathon. <laughs> yep. Let's take a short break. When we return, more from Lori Rodden. Hey, Harvard employees, make sure to visit iConnect for all the latest news on business wins, well-being tips, benefits, updates, upcoming company events, and more. And if you can't see it daily, be sure to read the iConnect Week in Review every Friday morning. It'll get you caught up on what you missed. Now, back to The Lead, the Hartford's executive podcast series. Welcome back. We're talking with Lori Rodden, the Hartford's chief HR officer. 
So let's switch gears and talk about HR priorities and particularly one of your most significant achievements in your current role. So before the pandemic uh, arrived, at the very beginning of 2020, you led the launch of the Hartford's Refreshed Behaviors, uh, which are, of course, to be courageous, breakthrough, and better the experience. And I'm just curious, why were these behaviors chosen? And what are your thoughts on their relevance over the past year? So who knew I, I had the the foresight to do this um, and how much we really needed and leaned on these behaviors over the past um, year and almost a half now. Um, our behaviors that were in place prior to this, Paula, as you know, were were good and they were fine, but they were stale and they were they they did not necessarily ignite the spark to behave in a very specific way as as our new behaviors do. And so um, when we embarked on this work, we wanted the behaviors to be accurate to our culture, but also somewhat aspirational because we knew we we had been and are continuing to be on a continual improvement journey to continue to push ourselves to be better and better and better. We wanted them to be pithy and roll off the tongue. We wanted them to be memorable. And we wanted employees at all levels to be able to say, yes, I can I can do this. Um, it makes sense to me. And it gives me uh, a framework in which to operate and behave on the how. And I will tell you that, you know, using these behaviors, it just warmed my heart to see the true testament of this work throughout the prior year and a half here where you just continue to see blog after blog and post after post on iConnect where employees at all levels were referencing the behaviors, um, big and small and everything in between. And it just, I really believe that it helped, it helped our culture and our employee engagement as we went into lockdown and quarantine and not seeing our colleagues, literally not seeing our colleagues because we shut Skype down for a couple of months during that period. And we really didn't miss a beat with our, our teams, our performance goals, our customers. You know, some say integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking and doing the right thing is hard. That's why not everybody does it. It's hard work, but, you know, moving to this com near complete remote work environment without missing a beat was just such a testament to our employee base. And I do believe that our behaviors certainly enabled that, um, certainly enabled that, perhaps accelerated that, fueled it, uh, supported it, um, definitely enabled it. You know, in addition to the uh, work on the behaviors, you and your team have really been at the forefront of the conversation around employee health and well-being, and certainly the past year has caused us all to pause and reevaluate how we're taking care of ourselves. And you know, I've I've spoken myself about you know being forced to admit that I wasn't always doing a, a very good job of that the way that I I should have. So it's it's great that we all have access to resources that help 
uh, support our health and well-being. How is the company thinking about health and well-being and what is the next evolution of our strategy? As you know, Paula, we've always been committed to providing benefits, programs, resources, et cetera, to really help our employees and their families, their loved ones live the healthiest life that they're able to. Um, so that's nothing new, but building a culture of health is really an evolution and we've continued on that evolution. And so I'm pleased to share that over the course of the past several months, we did a full uh, health and well-being uh, strategy refresh. And I'm I'm pleased to share that this is what we're going to anchor off of for the next um, four years. It's called Healthy at the Hartford 2025. And it's really a four, think of it as a four-pronged approach. So a lot of people think about health and well-being and they think about physical health. And, you know, maybe over the course of the last several months, we now think more about emotional health. But there's two other elements that we know really um, are important to achieving optimal well-being, and that is financial um, health as well as social health. So that's going to be our four-pronged approach to the strategy around making sure that we have enough programs, resources, et cetera, for our employees and their loved ones to be as healthy as they can be physically, socially, emotionally, and financially. So give some examples of, of the types of deliverables that would be focused on achieving those outcomes. So sure. Um, in the in the physical sense, I can tell you, you know, we've dug deep into our data and we um, know where our population has the um, highest amount of um, physical health struggles. So um, one of the unfortunate um, scenarios there is our employees or their family members dealing with cancer. So we are have made a decision to partner up with um, a resource to really help navigate and get the, the most optimal care for someone with a cancer diagnosis. So you think about really going into a more surgical, no pun intended, surgical manner of where is our where where are employees experiencing um, you know the 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 most um, health concerns, et cetera. And then how do we make sure that they are getting the best care at the at the right price point um, in the the most um, efficient manner, navigating some of these diagnoses, dealing with several different doctors and hospitals can be absolutely overwhelming when you're already dealing with an overwhelming health diagnosis. Any other examples that you'd share from your strategy? Um, in the um, emotional well-being space, we know that people have had to face just incredible personal challenges over the pandemic. And all of the data out there, as unfortunate as it is and as, as difficult as it is to read, um, there's just such a heightened level of cases around um, behavioral health issues, anxiety, depression, um, serious depression, suicides are on the rise, uh, you know, and it's it, it's not discriminatory to an age group or a race. I mean, it is just across the board um, something that 
is is on the rise. And so what we've really been doing is um, having we've leveraged our our on-site EAP counselor, Jen Fields. She's been conducting sessions with leaders. Um, there are um, courageous conversations that we've had. We had like over 1,200 employees participate in a courageous conversation, Paula. Wow. And, and in June this month, we've got our EAP counselor holding weekly group meetings on um, a variety of emotional health and well-being topics to really make sure that employees have a place to go to discuss some of the concerns that they have personally or that they're dealing with the, with their family members. When we put these sessions out there, they get filled up within minutes. That's amazing. There's such good stuff out there on iConnect. But on this topic of um, emotional health, um, we have a ton of resources out there. And I just encourage everyone to make your well-being a priority and just take a few minutes to check out the, the programs that are on our My Wellness at Work platform. It can be accessed right after, right off of the iConnect homepage. There's a menu of options. And I just challenge everybody listening to this to just try one new thing to support your own health and well-being this year. That is great advice for all of us at the Hartford, especially given the wealth of resources that are available. Um, let's pivot and talk about talent development and specifically some of the factors that will define the future of work and the workplace. Current trends in business and technology show that the way that employees work, the where, the when, and the how, are forecast to change dramatically over the next decade. Um, I'd love your perspective on how the Hartford is preparing for this coming wave of change. Sure, and you know, we've been in the midst of it. it change does happen slowly, but when, when our great-grandchildren perhaps look back on this time, they will really um, view it as the, the technological revolution, I'm sure. So, you know, certainly the world of work is changing due to automation, digitization, even the impact of the pandemic. I mean, necessity is the motherhood of invention. Think of the things that we're doing now, leveraging technology that we, we wouldn't have thought we could pull off before the pandemic, even though the technology hasn't changed all that much from pre to, to pre-pandemic to where we're at now. Mm -hmm. uh, we also know that over time, you know, really the the most high value work will be more cognitive in nature. And so that's going to require employees to use creativity, innovation, critical thinking, uh, constant digital and technology upskilling. Uh, you know, I think now just goodness, you think you know how to use an iPhone, you're good. And then when you make the transition to the iPhone with the home button and the iPhone without the home button, Holy moly, it's a different ball game. So <laughs> you have to stay up on technology and it's constantly changing. And so that's why our skilling strategy at the Hartford is so important. And we we will be talking more about this um, because when we invested in our new Workday platform, we knew that we were getting um, a, a more robust system in order to catalog skills of our existing workforce, and more importantly, understand what the skills of the future workforce are going to be, and then help get our workforce from where we are today to where we know 
we're going. And so many of our organizations within the company have embarked on, on doing this work and they're helping employees get ready, whether that's a reskilling effort or an upskilling, whether that's in their day job, encouraging people to make lateral moves, um, different training, et cetera, or um, actually career changes and development programs like our Heart Code Academy, where um, the IT organization looks for internal employees that want to become an IT developer, and we literally teach them how to do that. And that's something, you know, a number of years ago, we never would have thought to do. We would have thought to hire people who already had that skill. But, you know, our talent is our number one asset. And with the amount of employees that we have, if we're transparent with them around what skills are needed um, for the for the near term and longer term future and provide them with opportunities uh, to get there, it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So talking about the workplace and, of course, you can't have a conversation anymore without referencing the pandemic, <laughs> but I think the direct connection between the pandemic and the workplace is really evident in the shift uh, around employee workplace expectations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of this was driven by concern for health and safety, but I think it's fair to say that as we've moved through the more recent stages of the pandemic, a lot of the learning really centers now on work-life integration and the balance between work performance and lifestyle. And so with all of that in mind, how, how are you thinking about our next normal? Well, there will be a next normal. That is that is for sure. And all companies are trying to figure this out right now. So one of the things that that we're doing is we've asked Mo Tooker in partnership with a cross-functional team, and um, I'm actively involved in 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 this work as well. So it's it's um, something I want everyone to know. You know, we as an HR organization feel very strongly about helping to, you know, shape whatever this next normal is and really lean into having one of our executives, in this case, Mo, take on this enterprise um, responsibility of leading a cross-functional team to um, to do a lot of the, the work here. It's been a terrific partnership. So it's called The Future of Work. Um, is that's the name of the initiative, and it's and it's really about defining exactly what you've said. So they're they're in the throes of you know they've done a ton of analysis. They got a whole lot of external benchmarking, best practice work, um, and we will be um, culminating on a set of recommendations um, sometime in the summer. So end of July, early August timeframe, I believe. But first, I want to I want to just celebrate where we started, Paula. So a lot of companies were not at the place that we were prior to the pandemic. So at that time, we had um, not quite half of our workforce is in the mid 40s percent, 40, 40 percent or so, 45 percent of our workforce was full time remote prior to the pandemic. And then a large percentage of employees took advantage of our flexible work arrangements. So because we were in such a great position, I think that's also what helped us really pivot to near full-time remote in such short order. And, you know, so as we think about a next normal, we do know that employees are going to really 
desire and um, in some cases expect even more flexibility than we had provided in the past. And we want to lean into that and at the same time really maintain the absolute critical focus on performance and outcomes. One of the things that we're talking about, I don't want to get ahead of um, Mo's big reveal, but um, I'll, I'll share the concept without the tagline, um, is really determining when we need, when teams need to be together and for what purpose so that you're leveraging that. You know, we've proven that we can work in a remote environment, yet we know that we're giving something up by being in a remote environment. So as we transition to more and more employees coming back to work, um, albeit in perhaps a, a, a slightly more flexible manner, when we are together, how do we leverage that time to really get after the things that we know we've missed um, over the course of the past 15 months? So that could be things like um, peer, uh, what do I want to say, like peer coaching or, you know, when you sit in a group and you're hearing people work, you pick up on things that you wouldn't otherwise pick up on. Sort of those conversations that may occur in between topics at a meeting or before or after while you're, um, you know, gathering to go into a conference room, strategy sessions where you're really trying to brainstorm and build off of each other. And you can do a lot of that via technology, but we know that there are some um, pieces of work that are better if you're in person together. So a lot of the things that I'm, I'm really um, pushing for and looking forward to are leveraging the technology that we have to be as good as we can be, potentially using newer collaboration technology, getting better at just general meeting effectiveness. I mean, agendas, pre-reads, having people read the pre-reads, getting in and out of the meetings efficiently. Um, those are all things that we can and will get better at and um, things that we needed to get better at prior to the pandemic. So I think that, you know, trying to get as effective as we can be with some people in an office and some people in a remote capacity, um, the companies that figure it out are, are gonna be the companies that win, my perspective. And as you mentioned, really using this as an opportunity to drive improved performance across all of our different metrics. It has to lead with performance and outcomes, absolutely. Lori, it's been fantastic to spend time with you today. Thank you so much for a great conversation. You know, as we're chatting today, I think we are all starting to feel a sense of optimism that we might not have imagined was possible back at the start of 2021. So um, before I let you go, let me ask one last question. What are you most looking forward to as we put the worst of the pandemic behind us and return to something that feels more normal? Uh, vacation. <laughs> um, a real vacation? <laughs> a real vacation. Yes, a real vacation. Um, no, seriously, what am I most looking forward to? So I will tell you, I've been uh, working in the office for the past um, couple of weeks now and just having, even though there's only a couple of people here, just having that um, couple of minute conversation about how are you doing? You've heard me talk before, the, the how are you is such 
an aha for me that came out of the pandemic to really ask people how they are and more importantly, listen to what the answer is. And it's just even more powerful when you can do that face-to-face -face versus over a screen. Yeah, I think uh, seeing our colleagues, you know, the Hartford has the unique culture that you referenced and the idea of seeing some of the colleagues that we care so much about in person, that is definitely going to be a great part of our next normal. Well, it'll be great to see your face again soon when we uh, are, are back in the office together. You as well, Paula. And thank you. You're always such a pleasant host for these podcasts. Well, thank you. Lori Rodden, thank you. It's been such fun. I'm so glad we could catch up. And thanks to everybody for joining us. Until next time, I'm Paula Angelo. This has been The Lead, the Hartford's Executive Podcast Series. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you get notified of the latest episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.